0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What is up, Bills Mafia? Happy Sunday, happy April, as we are officially in draft month. As it is April 2nd, yesterday was April Fool's. I have no jokes for you tonight because we're going to be spitting facts right here on the BF Writers Club. And, man, before we get into football, what a time it is for sports. I mean, I am on my phone right now trying to check the Islanders score. I saw someone was in there talking about the Sabres. We me just create this music out because the Sabres warrant that right now based on their play. And that's something that... We're, We're not used to being able to say that right now, but the Sabres are really, really close to the playoffs. And I didn't even realize that the Islanders were playing tonight, but they are losing to the Hurricanes 2-1 to right now with a minute and a half left. It looks like the Penguins are going to beat the Flyers. And man, the game of the year for maybe Devin Levi and the Sabres in Florida Tuesday night. And let's take a quick look at the standings in here for any Sabres fans. But as of right now, Let's just say the Islanders end up losing tonight. They will have 87 points in 78 games played. The Panthers will, or excuse me, if the the Penguins win, they will leapfrog the Panthers and they will have 86 points in 77 games played. And then Florida will be there with 77 games played and 85 points. So the Sabres have two or three games in hand on all these teams. And it is very, very close. So Tuesday night is huge for the Sabres. And then we have March Madness going on. A great women's game today. LSU takes the championship there. We have the men's championship tomorrow night between San Diego State and UConn. And my New York Knicks clinched a playoff spot. I just got the notification that they clinched a playoff spot. So, man, it's actually a good time for sports. And how could I forget the Yankees, too? MLB is back. Yanks won again today. Aaron Judge, another home run. So, This is one of the best times of the year for sports. That being said, it is draft month as I open the show with here. And what are the bills going to do? That's the question now is Zach and I were talking before the show. We have four shows planned out before the draft, and it is coming very, very fast here. It is going to be here before we know it. And I might as well plug this now. We have round three of the Buffalo Fanatics mock draft coming out tomorrow. So you will be able to see all of our picks through round three, probably late morning, early afternoon. But yeah, now that it's here, get ready, buckle up. So that being said, I figured this was a good time to sort of recap what the Bills have done so far in free agency and then look ahead to how this affects the draft. Because we're right at that sweet spot. We're right right in the middle between... The first few waves of free agency, and we're really not ramped up that much yet to the draft. So this is like that nice halfway point of the offseason where we're going to transition from free agency into the draft. And I know there are a a lot of people who are getting ramped up for the draft because I've, I've been seeing people talking about the draft for months now. And I'm one of those people where I can't really get into it too soon. I need to decompress after the season, then I go into free agency, and then I go into the draft. But I know that there have been a lot of people who have been doing a lot of research, watching a lot of film, and, and taking a deep dive at this draft class for months. So I know a lot of Bills fans, and just football fans in general, are looking forward for the draft. So that being said, let's start by recapping what the Bills have done so far in free agency. Now they opened up their free agency. I mean, they made a ton of transactions. They, they started $20 million over the cap. They made a lot of re-signings got Jordan Poirier back. That was probably the biggest move in, ter- in terms of re-signings. They had to clear up all that money, restructure a lot of deals, got some special teams guys back, but in terms of what they did, Of with with new additions here, the first guy that they brought in was Connor McGovern, a 25-year-old guard. He played in Dallas the last few years, and that looked like a solid signing, right? He was a fringe starter with the Cowboys for the first few years, and he battled through some injuries, but he's very versatile. He can play guard. He can line up as a fullback. He can line up as a tight end. You can get him out in space, and he can block for someone like a James Cook with the screen game and again he's 25 years old coming off his rookie contract he played his college ball with ryan bates at penn state and now the the, the two of them are under contract for the next three years together so then the bills followed that up by getting deontay hardy from the saints and this is another versatile weapon where he can play wide receiver he can play inside or outside he can return kicks he can return punts you can line him up in the backfield He can be a gadget player, literally just a jack of all trades. But if you remember from watching this show over the last few weeks, that's where I got caught up a little bit. And I was like, you know what? I'm a little bit skeptical of the Bills offseason so far because it seemed like they weren't learning from their mistakes last year. Because what was their downfall last year? Ken Dorsey's play calling and the Bills execution where they were not stretching the field horizontally. Everything was just vertically down the field. And I cautioned them ever since, well, really probably November when they were going on that skid and then throughout the whole rest of the regular season and postseason, because I was just waiting for something to click and to change, but it never did. So then going into the off season, I kept saying, you got to build up your offensive line. You got to get a power running back and you have to get a possession receiver. So those first two signing, I was like, oh, here we go again. Because Deontay Hardy seemed to be that speed demon. He could be that new shiny toy for Josh Allen to go deep to. And Connor McGovern was ranked 13th in pass protection, but 79th in run blocking. So I was like, man, all they want to do is buy Josh Allen more time to look down the field. And they just want to match Ken Dorsey's play calling with these players on offense. But then, literally the next day after we had that show, they signed Damian Harris. and. Trent Shurfield. And I love those two signings because Shurfield, we'll start with him because he came earlier in the day. But he's that possession receiver that I was talking about, where, yeah, he does have speed, but his main thing is he can work the middle of the field and then he will turn the Jets on. And the first thing I think of when I think of that is that clip that you see of Trent Shurfield against the 49ers, where he caught it in the middle of the field and then he did the rest and he outran probably the best defense in the NFL. So that's what Trent Sherfield brings. He brings size, versatility. He can be used as a blocker, he can be used on special teams. And then with Damian Harris, he is that power back that we were talking about where he is a perfect complement to James Cook and Naheem Hines. And the thing with Damian Harris that I love and Sean McDermott talked about this last last week at the league meetings, Damian Harris, yes, he is a power back, but he also brings that speed element where he can be used as that north to south back, but he also has home run ability where he hits a hole. And just like with Trent Shurfield, you might not be able to catch up to him. So that's what Damian Harris brings to this offense. And then you take a look at the offensive line signings. I already mentioned McGovern, David Edwards. He was the other new addition. The Bills also re-signed Ike Butker before free agency even started back on March 2nd, I believe. And then they re-signed David Questenberry too. So David Edwards, again, 26 years old, coming off his rookie contract, drafted by the Rams. And he was a fringe starter, helped them win the Super Bowl in 2021, battled through some concussions over the last year. And now the Bills get him here and they hope that they can really bring the best out of him. So that being said, If you notice, there is a trend with these free agents that the Bills have gone after where all the guys that I just mentioned, and I didn't even talk about Taylor Rapp yet, and we will talk about Rapp more throughout the show. Once Bryce comes on, he wrote an article about what Taylor Rapp brings to this Bills defense, and my man Yeston Harris is going to come on as well because he wrote an article about Sean McDermott taking over the play calling, so we're going to segue into that later on tonight but I love that signing of Taylor Rapp. So now that I mentioned all of the new additions, the one thing that all seven players have in common is that they are between 25 and 27 years old. So the bills have been targeting low cost, high upside players who have yet to hit their peak. And you take a guy like David Edwards. He's probably the best example of this, where he played his college ball at Wisconsin. He played 37 collegiate games. Of those 37, he made 31 starts at right tackle, helping pave the way for Jonathan Taylor. Well, once he got to the NFL, it was Bill's offensive line coach, Aaron Cromer, who converted him to a guard. So you look at that and you say, okay, the Rams are in rebuild mode, and we think that we can get David Edwards here. And not only can we get him here in Buffalo, we think that we can get him at a cheap rate, but... The production is going to soar. is It's going to skyrocket because he knows the scheme. He's back with Aaron Cromer, and we're putting him in the right environment. And we really think that our coaching staff can develop him. And that one point eight million dollar deal is going to look like a bargain. So those are the types of players that the Bills have gone after so far, and I really like that. Now I will get to the point where I don't like it because. Again, you have to be naive at both sides here. But in terms of the positives and the pros, I really like what Brandon Bean did because he said at the beginning of the offseason, do not expect anything big. We did that last year with Von Miller, but we're not going to have any big ticket signings this year. And one of the reporters was like, are you sure? Because you told us that last year. And then all of a sudden you got Von Miller. And he was like, nope, nope, nope. Like it's not happening because you can't kick the can down the road that much. So he was a man of his word. And we just saw, again, a lot of those low cost signings with a lot of upside. Now, speaking of the offensive line and getting into some of the cons. Now, this is where I got caught up because what the bills have done to their offensive line is something that I call patchwork. Now, I know that I talked about this last week, but I'm going to say it again because it fits. And it segues into the question that I want to present for tonight's show. And that's the analogy that I often use to describe this is fixing a road. So think of any road at the end of the winter, which ironically enough falls during the same time as the NFL offseason. What does it mainly consist of? Potholes. And that's pretty much how I see the Bills offensive line, where you look at them at the end of the regular season and then at the end of the postseason, and there's a lot of splotchy holes around where yeah you have guys like Deon Dawkins, Mitch Morse, Ryan Bates, and probably Spencer Brown coming back as a starter. So the road isn't in that rough of shape, but still there are a lot of potholes that need to get patched up. And that's a word that you have to be careful with patching. Because using that analogy, what do the street departments and the highway departments normally do when they have to fix the road? They patch those holes with the blacktop and sometimes it holds throughout the whole summer and you say, okay, good. We don't really have to do any more work here, but other times that blacktop does not hold. And you say, man, we really didn't, we, we really didn't value the road for what it was. We kind of underestimated the condition that it was in. And maybe we should have just put down that fresh coat of pavement. And, and that's how I see this bill's offensive line here because going into free agency, I was hoping that the Bills were going to draft a guard early and then use the money to sign a veteran right tackle to give Spencer Brown some much-needed competition. But they've pretty much done the opposite as they now have four guards who you can pretty much pencil in on the depth chart and no offensive tackles who present a real threat to taking uh, Spencer Brown's job. And Questenberry, yeah, maybe that's competition, but it's really more depth as Questenberry is going to be 33 years old once the season starts, and he's coming off a season in which he allowed four sacks and 396 snaps for a 59.3 PFF grade. So, again, that's just more of a depth signing. He's going to be a camp body. There's not a lot of guarantees in the contract. So the Bills have, have really been patching their line once again, and that's something that they've been doing ever since trading away Wyatt Teller in 2019. Guys like Quentin Spain, Brian Winters, John Feliciano, Daryl Williams, Roger Saffold, Greg Van Roten, Bobby Hart, even if you want to throw him in there. But they pretty much chose to go that route again this spring. And you can look at that and say, well, McGovern and Edwards are probably better than any of the other guys that I previously mentioned. And you're right. Again, taking a look at the pros, you think that McGovern is a solid signing. Same with David Edwards. But really, that's just stronger blacktop to try to keep the road together. Not to mention all these guys who are backups are going to be free agents again next offseason. So you might have your starters figured out, but what are you going to do behind them? So again, that's where the patching comes into play. And here's the thing, too. The four guards on the Bills roster right now between McGovern, Bates, Edwards, and Butker account for $14.8 million in terms of average annual value for the 2023 season. So not only are they taking up roster spots, but they're also taking away from being able to spend on different positions. And and I shouldn't say they're taking up roster spots because I just got done saying how they're solid moves. But you understand where I'm coming from now, because if you have four guards on your roster, that decreases the likelihood that you're going to draft that guard of the future. Because at this point, it would be kind of redundant if you were to draft Osiris Torrance and you say, well, why do we have five guards who could potentially start here and now we really need a right tackle or we really need that wide receiver too or more importantly we really need that starting middle linebacker so that pretty much leads into the main question for tonight's show and you can probably tell because i wrote the article on it that was in the tweet that was on the youtube link here but Are the Bills drafting defense early again? And this is an interesting conversation because last week, if you were watching the show, Zach and I got into a discussion about whether the Bills really draft balanced or not. And Zach said, if you look at the numbers, they draft very balanced. And I said, I don't think so, though. It just doesn't seem like the Bills draft balance. It just seems very defensive heavy. And I was very curious. So I, I looked into it at the end of the show and obviously to write the article. So I did, I did some digging here. And let me just start by saying the bills hired Brandon Bean in May of 2017. So it was Doug Whaley who drafted with Sean Dermott that year. So this is going back to 2017. So six combined years of drafting between McDermott and Bean. And in those six years, the bills have drafted 45 players. 22 have been offensive players, 21 defensive, and two special teamers. However, of those 45 total picks, only 23 remain on the roster, with most of them coming on defense. 14 are defensive players, only 8 are offensive, and then there's Tyler Bass. And on top of it, 5 of their 6 first-round picks have been a defensive player, and the only player that was offensive was, was Josh Allen. And that was a year where you pretty much had to draft a quarterback. And for the cherry on top, the last first round pick that Allen played with on offense was Calvin Benjamin, who wasn't even the Bills draft pick. He was the 2014 first round pick by Carolina. And moving down a little bit further here, Buffalo has only drafted one wide receiver before day three since 2017. And that was Zay Jones. And the Bills have never drafted an interior offensive lineman before round five. They've just drafted three offensive tackles, Deion Dawkins, Cody Ford, and Spencer Brown. So technically, you could say Brandon Bean himself has never drafted a wide receiver or an interior offensive lineman before day three. So again, Zach and I were both right, because when you look at it on the surface, you say, The Bills have been very balanced with how they draft. But when you get down to the nitty gritty, you say, "Mm, I really don't think it's that balanced." So basically what that tells me is that the Bills draft defense early and then they fill out the rest of their team by getting day three offensive players. But the problem with that is those are just camp bodies who are used for that competition where you take someone like Isaiah Hodgins and six-round draft pick Looks pretty promising, but then the Bills say, well, we're going to keep Jake Kumaro over him for special teams, and he bounces up and down between the practice squad, and then look what happens. The Giants claim him, and they turn him into, I don't want to say a superstar, but he had a very nice season for the Giants. So that's pretty much the question that we're going to get into tonight. Are the Bills drafting defense early again? And I will say again, because now that we get into it a little bit more and you see how this really falls and how it filters down. This is a common occurrence where the Bills draft early more times than not. So I'm curious to see what you guys have to say. And I'm going to bring Zach on in a little bit, and we're going to continue our conversation from last week. But before we get into that, I just want to talk a little bit more about what positions they're going to draft here. Because as of right now, it seems like the Bills are pigeonholing themselves to have to draft a linebacker here. Because middle linebacker seems to be a glaring hole. Now, I could be wrong. They could be very high on Tyrell Dodson or Terrell Bernard or Bale Inspector, but it just seems to me that they are setting themselves up to have to draft defense, specifically a middle linebacker, and someone that a lot of us fans and analysts and just people who have been looking into the draft have been talking about is Jack Campbell. Now, Jack Campbell is that stereotypical middle linebacker where you look at Sean McDermott, who is taking over the play calling now. And that's something that he's always liked to have in his defense, that big middle linebacker who can be the captain of the defense, like a Luke Kuechly or Tremaine Edmonds. But oddly enough, Jack Campbell has been training with Luke Keekley And the thing with Jack Campbell is he is that downhill runner where he can go after the running back. He doesn't really have that speed or athleticism like a Drew Sanders, but he makes up for it with his instincts because he has a nose for the ball and he can just go after anyone pretty much. And you can use him in coverage or just in the run game as well. So he is just that stereotypical overall great linebacker and, A lot of analysts are saying that he's more of a mid second round pick. So if the bills take him at 27, is that a reach? I don't know. Maybe they could trade back, but that's going to be kind of risky because you could easily run into a team like Kansas city who jumped the bills last year because they looked at the bills and said, Oh, you guys want a cornerback? Well, we're just going to trade in front of you and we're going to get Trent McDuffie. So you have to be very careful with balancing reaching for Jack Campbell, and not trading back too far to the point where someone could jump you right in between. So that's the first position that really sticks out that the Bills could draft. Obviously, wide receiver is another position, but here's another position that I put in the article because, again, I'm talking about how the Bills are setting themselves up to draft defense because I don't want us to get let down or be surprised if they don't draft that flashy wide receiver immediately because defensive tackle is another position that needs some work now they have been patching that up so you could look at that and say that i'm contradicting myself because if they patch the offensive line but don't need to draft that guard anymore why do they still need to draft the defensive tackle early and the answer is they don't have any dts under contract past the 2023 season All five of their starters on the offensive line are under contract past this season, but now the bills re-signed Jordan Phillips this last week. And here are all their defensive tackles Ed Oliver, Daquan Jones, Tim settle, Jordan Phillips, Eli Anku, Brandon Bryant, Cortez Broughton and Kendall Vickers. But all of them will be free agents again at this time next year. So, that could really be a position where the bills say, you know what, we need to get someone in the pipeline because we need to build this the right way. And we're going to get into some of the players that they could potentially draft because I was filling out my mock draft for our article that comes out tomorrow. And there's someone that has caught my eye that I definitely want to get into a little bit more here, but yeah, defensive tackle is definitely on the table for an early draft pick for the bills. And, you know, I, I hate to say it because I'm sure a lot of people don't want to hear this, but edge rusher, that could be another position where the bills say, you know what? Best player available. We need another edge rusher. Let's just take him, because Von Miller is recovering from his torn ACL. And right now you just have Greg Rousseau and you need someone to pair with Rousseau because then you have Basham and AJ Epinesa as a backups. And that's pretty much it. So the bills still could resign Shaq Lawson. But at this point, as the days move on, maybe that's a little less likely. So that's another position where the Bills could look to in the draft relatively early based on best player available. So again, as much as some people might not want to hear it, the Bills could really use their first three picks on a linebacker, defensive tackle, and a defensive end. And I said this last week, and I said this in the article, that's just going to be a tough selling point to the fan base because i think a lot of us are in agreement that the bills need more help on offense and they specifically need another wide receiver to put behind stefan diggs and gabe davis because you look at gabe davis and his contract is up past this season so you might want to get someone in the pipeline who you can groom to potentially take over as a wide receiver too if gabe davis prices himself out because at this rate Do we really want to pay Gabe Davis 12 to 15 million a year? I'm not sure. A lot of that depends on what he does this season. But either way, the Bills have five wide receivers right now and they need that sixth. And I don't want to see them spend a six round draft pick on a wide receiver. I want them to take one early. And again, that's something they haven't typically done, where Zay Jones is the last wide receiver to be selected by these Buffalo Bills before day three. And I think that is a huge problem right there. So that's pretty much how I I finished the article, just by saying that you have to help your $250 million quarterback. Because we saw last year that that was one of their downfalls, where just Josh Allen did not have enough help. And when he doesn't have enough help, and he's not getting the best play calling from his offensive coordinator, that's when he reverts to sugar high Josh and he's playing hero ball and he's trying to do too much by himself. So that's why you have to surround him with the correct talent so that he doesn't go back to his old ways. And again, I like what they've done. Damian Harris, uh, David Edwards, Connor McGovern, Trent Sherfield. you know, all these guys are nice pieces. But again, I talked about the Patrick of the offensive line. Really? You could say it's patchwork on offense in general, because most of these guys, Aside from Deontay Hardy and Connor McGovern and Hardy can opt out after his first year anyways, but those were all one-year contracts. So these aren't permanent solutions by any means. So that's why as much as you want to draft defense for the reasons that I mentioned, you also want to draft offense as well. And that's why it's just hard this year because normally the bills do such a great job in free agency where they don't have any holes going into the draft. And for the first time in a long time, I think this team still has a lot of holes maybe they're not too deep, but still they have a lot of positions that need to get addressed. And it's going to be very interesting to see how they go about it here. So Zach, whenever you're ready, give me a thumbs up. I'm going to start looking over these comments. I see we have 123 of them. So (laughs) I'll have to get to those while you are talking, Zach. So you good to go. All right. He gave the wave. He's good. <laughs> so Zach, have you been catching up with the comments? I see we have 71 in our private chat, so I can't do my math that quick. But what's that about 200 <laughs> messages that I need to get caught up on? The The long and short of it is that Bryce and
1: I sat an over under on the term patchwork being used in your monologue about two and a half times. And we hit we hit the over on that. So you owe us something. Nice.
0: <laughs> well, d- did my Internet cut out? Was there an over under set on that?
1: No, we didn't get to that.
0: The book, hey, the book I would rather say patchwork three times than have my internet cut out three times. So I think we're doing pretty good. Don't jinx it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. Um... So, all right,
0: Zach, you, you got to hear me talk for a bit there. You got to read over my article. You got to pretty much talk about this with us last week. But now that we have more stats and facts to back up our claims where are you at with all of this in terms of what the bills did in free agency and how they're setting themselves up for the draft. And then obviously we're going to get into our discussion from last week about how the bills typically draft, but just starting with what they did in free agency, how do you feel about all of this as we move into April here?
1: Uh, With the, I'm feeling okay. Like, Obviously, the Bills didn't have a ton of money to work with, and considering the cap situation they were in, they've done pretty well. You know, you've got, like you said, they've been targeting 25- to 27-year-olds, players heading on to their second contracts, and guys whose best days are hopefully still ahead of them or they're about to enter their prime. And that's just a better way of doing it than the past couple years where the past couple of years to borrow your term they were patchworking the offensive line with uh 30 something year olds just grizzled vets on near the end of their careers basically but i think Connor mcgovern if he pans out you got a good starter there for a couple years probably get him, keep him here for five to some years um Bates you already know who he is he's your he's at this point he's their starting left guard until they find unless they determine that they need to upgrade that and that's okay I mean I'm not too concerned about the offensive line the only issue being Spencer Brown being left unchallenged which I think will probably end up happening like I don't think Bean's ready to fully give up on him yet. He wants to give him a full, healthy off season, see what happens. And then after this year, if he doesn't take a step forward, then they'll be ready to move on from him and draft his replacement or sign his replacement. But that will be down the road. As for Sherfield Hardy, I think I've already mentioned my thoughts on them in previous Shows, tweets, what have you. I think they're solid additions. They're relatively affordable. They're going to fill roles. They're upgrades over the guys they had. Deontay Hardy is an upgraded version of Isaiah McKenzie. And with the potential to actually be a good slot receiver too. I think that they definitely want to get Khalil Shakir more involved in the offense based on the way they've, Address the wide receiver position. Hardy, Shurfield's an upgrade over Kumaro. You want to give Shakir that opportunity? Well, then give Shakir that opportunity. Don't sign someone just to bump Gabe Davis out of wide receiver two and then expect that Gabe Davis is going to go away into the night just because he had didn't have the all-pro caliber season that some people sitting in the back room of this show said he would <laughs> but like i said like i said last week i don't expect any major moves to come before the draft perhaps there's a move in the draft maybe the bills do get deandre hopkins and make it a draft day trade or something but i still don't think it's realistic <laughs> and I mean as for defense yeah it to get back to your original premise for today's show, the Bills drafting defense early. It it's just looking like that they're probably gonna have to draft linebacker early, at the very least. I mean, we know that Bean went out and said Bean and McDermott said that they're gonna have an open competition at middle linebacker. I mean, it's all fine and good to have let Dodson, Bernard compete, but you gotta get someone else in the room, whether it's a veteran, a rookie like jack campbell who just seems to be that perfect fit he is athletic enough he like tremaine edmonds he also went to iowa so that checks off a mcdermott box there because he likes the iowa program and the players there i th- i'm telling you i think that campbell will be a bill in april at by the end of april and whether or not the bills decide to take him at 27, which many consider a reach or they trade down in the early in the second round and try to get a better positional value or pick value for him, I don't know. That's up to Bean, but I think you just got to take the player that you want when you have the ability to.
0: Well, before we get into the specifics of the draft, I want to just, Go back to free agency here now that you're on to talk about this with me. And again, I like all the signings, but the offensive line was where I got caught up because I think that they've done pretty much everything that they could have so far at the wide receiver position. They didn't have a lot of money to work with. You get Deontay Hardy, speed demon, versatile, can do a lot of different things. Trent Sherfield brings some more size and versatility in that capacity with him. But now they just have to finish it off by finding one in the draft if they don't trade for DeAndre Hopkins, which is still on the table. A little bit less likely from when we talked last week, but I think the best route right now is to draft that wide receiver too. running back. I love what they did because I'm not one to say that you'd have to spend a lot of money or a lot of capital on a running back, because I think this is a revolving door where you get Damian Harris for this year, hopefully it goes well, and then you just get someone else next year, and the next year you sign someone else. Or maybe they really like Damian Harris and they re-sign him to a two-year deal. Or maybe he prices himself out and you say, okay, maybe we have to draft someone next year. But I just don't like the thought of spending a lot of money on a running back, Or having to draft one like Bijan Robinson too early because Bijan Robinson is great, but Ken Dorsey will not know how to use him. We are not a run heavy team, we are a pass heavy team. So I do not see Bijan Robinson fitting in with this Bills team. I mean, obviously, a player of that talent will fit in anywhere, but for his sake, I think he should go somewhere else and for the Bills' sake as well, because then you would have to change your whole offense. But again, Going back to the offensive line, that's where I got caught up because this is something that we talked about last week where the Bills haven't spent a lot of money in terms of cap hits on these players, but in terms of average annual value with like the the literal money that they're handing these guys, that's almost $15 million. And that might not be a lot, but you look at someone like Bobby Wagner who got a one-year $7 million deal to return to Seattle and you say, you know what? Maybe if we just signed two of those four offensive linemen and saved half of that money. We could have signed a Bobby Wagner or a Levante David. So looking at it now, maybe that's not the best time to have that conversation because you can't do anything about it at this point, but just how do you feel about that where the bills chose to not go get that veteran linebacker? And again, now they're kind of pigeonholing themselves to have to draft one.
1: I mean, all I'll say about that is that I <laughs> obviously, I would have liked to have gotten Bobby Wagner or Levante David, but I think I'd be content with drafting a young guy, possibly signing a cheaper veteran after the draft, and also getting that third round compensatory pick for Tremaine Edmonds for next year.
0: Well, I think this segues into more of the specifics about the draft because now, Using that phrase, pigeonholing the bills are putting all their marbles on either Jack Campbell or Drew Sanders, unless there's someone else that they really like that we don't know of. But those are the top two linebackers, where again, Jack Campbell is more of that classic middle linebacker, like that Luke Keekley, who can be that downhill threat, go after the running back, but he also has the instincts to be able to be used in pass coverage as well, just because he's so smart. Where Drew Sanders. He started at Alabama, transferred to Arkansas, and he started out as an edge rusher, but then converted to an off-ball linebacker where he has a lot of upside, but he also has that athleticism to be able to be used as that coverage linebacker. So then it comes down to what did the Bills want here? Do they want more of that run-stuffing linebacker that McDermott always loves to have in his defense? Or do they want to get someone who is more athletic because the way the Bills play – they want to score a lot of points to the point where you have to score a lot of points on them. And the Bills want to take their opposing their, their opposing teams out of position to be able to run the ball and say, we're going to go up three touchdowns on you so that you don't even want to run the ball on us. So when you use that mentality, maybe they like Drew Sanders more than Jack Campbell.
1: I mean, like you said, it really depends on whether or not McDermott's willing to part with the traditional linebacker roles in the in his philosophy and his defensive scheme. Like we've seen for years, you mentioned Luke Hukley, he was the Mike in Carolina. And then they had Thomas Davis as the off ball linebacker. And then when he came here, drafted Tremaine Edmonds. He's been the Mike the last five years. Matt Milano has been the off-ball linebacker. Do the Bills want to get another traditional Mike in Jack Campbell? Or is McDermott going to suddenly overhaul his philosophy and just decide, I just want the best linebackers I can get on the field? I would say that I won't believe that he will change much in his philosophy until I see that he changes in his philosophy. I think that's why Jack Campbell would be the pick. He's a true Mike. He could come in and fill that positional need right away day one. And they can still have their competition with Dodson and Bernard and try all whatever. But Jack Campbell would be the guy who probably ends up winning that battle.
0: So Jack Campbell is roughly 250 pounds. Drew Sanders is 235. And again, Sanders is more of that athlete in terms of the middle linebacker where they're projecting him to be a middle linebacker, but he's more of Matt Milano in the sense that he's athletic. He can go cover guys. And like you said, Jack Campbell is that true Mike, but here's the thing. I mentioned this before where the Bills are putting themselves in a tough spot because let's say they really like Jack Campbell. Jack Campbell is their guy. They're going to get him no matter what. If they get him at 27, that could be a reach. But at the same time, you say, you know what? This is a need for us. He's available. Let's just go get him. But if you want to get more assets back because the Bills have six draft picks right now. So if you say, you know what? We don't want to reach for Jack Campbell. Let's trade back 10 to 15 spots and get a couple more picks back Again, that's kind of risky because what if he's not there anymore? And then, say, Drew Sanders is also gone. The next best linebacker is probably Trenton Simpson, but he's more of that jack-of-all-trades linebacker where they're saying that he could be like that hybrid, more of like a, a Micah Parsons. So I think this is a relatively deep linebacking class, but in terms of that big true Mike, Jack Campbell is the guy to get here.
1: And I agree with you. I'm just going to say it's one thing for those who think that taking a player that would fit perfectly into your defense would be a reach at 27 overall. Quite frankly, after draft day, the, the specific pick where a player is taken doesn't matter. Besides the rookie wage scale, it doesn't matter. I mean, yes, being taken in the first round versus being taken in the second round, there are perceived expectations that come along with it. There's a difference in perceived expectations, but it doesn't mean much besides the team just saying, we want to get you on our team, and this is where we're going to take you to ensure you're on our team.
0: Now, here's the thing. I want to talk about day two of the draft before we get Bryce to come on. Because I want to hear his thoughts and then transition into the Taylor Rapp signing and the defense as a whole. And then again, Yesen will be coming on to talk about how this defense might look under their new play caller here, their new slash old play caller. But how do you feel about round two for the Bills? Because let's say they do get Jack Campbell or just any linebacker in general with their first pick, whether that's at 27 or they trade up or down. So linebacker, that that's done. Done with and over with. You don't have to worry about it anymore. What do you do next? Because I think we can all agree that the Bills need more weapons, and wide receiver is still a hole that I think needs to get worked on here. But as I was doing my research for our mock draft, there are a lot of stud defensive tackles, a lot of one techs, those stereotypical nose tackles like a Maisie Smith or Keanu Benton. Or who's the other one that I'm forgetting? Uh, Oh, Gervin Dexter or Siaki Ika. He might be more of a third round pick. But the point is, there are a lot of good defensive tackles where the Bills might look at that and say, best player available? Let's just take one of these guys and we'll worry about wide receiver next round. So how do you feel about that? Because like I said in the article, I think you have to be very careful with best player available. You have to take it with a grain of salt because whenever I hear a team say, oh, well, we're going to take the best player available. Well, if the best player available is a quarterback, are you going to take them? No. If the best player available is a punter, are you going to take him? No. So I think it's best player available within reason. So within reason, do you see defensive tackle being on the board here when they could potentially get someone like a Cedric Tillman in round two
1: I mean theoretically like you said the Bills don't currently have any defensive tackles under contract beyond this year so theoretically it would make sense for that position to be on the board in the second round in the third round I mean and we don't necessarily know who they'd be want to bring back after this season like Bean has talked about how they want to keep Ed Oliver, but we don't know whether or not, one, he'll warrant a contract extension, or two, the Bills could afford to give him whatever he wants if he breaks out. And I'm not sure whether or not they have any plans to extend to Quan Jones, even though it would be smart for them to. But, yeah, I would say that if you're going to draft a defensive tackle, you might want to go for one of the bigger guys, one of those big boys The for a p- potential long-term one tech nose tackle for the defensive line, because you can always, you can never have too much beef on the defensive line. Let's put it that way.
0: <laughs> yeah. And based on my preliminary research here, I haven't really gotten too far into it yet because we've been doing so much with free agency where I'm really going to go heavy with it over the next few weeks here. But it looks like there is a drop-off in talent from rounds two to three. And I, I think there are a lot of good defensive tackles that are going to get drafted between the first and second rounds. And I think there are still some solid guys for rounds three and four. But again, if you look at that and say best player available, the Bills might be tempted to take a defensive tackle relatively early which, again, stems back to the original question here. Are they going to draft defense early again, where a lot of people are saying offense, offense, offense. We only scored 10 points in the playoffs against the Bengals, but the Bills could be saying defense, defense, defense.
1: I think people put way too much stock in the last game that they see. Like, obviously, scoring only 10 points in a playoff game is embarrassing. Yes. But the Bills had a top offense in the league last season. They were emotionally drained after a very unprecedented year of adversity for the players on that team. You can't predict all the stuff that happened last year. You can't predict that your starting tight end's brother would pass away. You can't predict that one of your backup safeties who was playing for an injured starter would suffer a cardiac arrest on the field and not be able to return for the rest of the season. You can't predict injuries. You can't predict a ton of the stuff that happens in football games. So everyone overreacting to that loss to the Bengals are the ones that are saying, oh, the bills need to load up and get wide receiver. I mean, yes, you can always use more weapons for your franchise quarterback, but it's not like that's priority. Number one, when you have a glaring need at linebacker or potentially a glaring need on the defensive line after this season, or having to potentially replace not one, but both of your all pro caliber saf- safeties. Well, I mean, that's there. the
0: thing though, Not not to cut you off, but, in, In terms of wide receiver and defensive tackle here, that's a very interesting conversation to have because when you say, what is the need here? I think wide receiver is a bigger need right now than defensive tackle because defensive tackle, you could worry about that next year where you say, you know what, we have eight guys who are under contract and wide receiver, you don't have anyone Really behind Diggs and Davis. Yeah, you have Hardy and Sherfield. But the, here's the other thing Trent Sherfield said, I think the Bills view me more as a slot receiver. So then it's like, what are we doing here? You have Sherfield, Shakir, and Hardy for the slot again with no one to help on the boundary. Are we just doing the same thing that we did last year? So again, I think that is a very interesting conversation to have because as much as we say defensive tackle is a need, I don't think it's an immediate need where I would say wide receiver is more of an immediate need.
1: But is it though? Like you have digs, you have your wide receiver. One Gabe Davis right now is your wide receiver two, And he's a good wide receiver too. He just needs to catch more. He just needs to not drop as many balls. And that's something that can be relatively easily fixed. And also here's the other thing. People were are clamoring for Khalil Shakir to get an opportunity, but what happens if you draft another wide receiver? If you draft a wide receiver early, where whose whose touches are he going to be taking away from? You're going to take away some from Gabe Davis, sure. You're going to take away from whoever the slot receiver is, probably. If you want a wide receiver in the first or second round, and you think that that's a top priority, then you're saying that you want to basically push everyone else down the depth chart a notch, including Khalil Shakir, the guy that everyone wants to see more from. So that's why I think the fact that the Bills did not go out in free agency and or go onto the trade block and go after a big-name free agent wide receiver was a good thing because you have these young guys. You have Khalil Shakir, you got Deontay Hardy coming in who has the potential to also develop into a good receiver, but they won't get an opportunity if you just go about spending premium capital on wide receiver at the position. If you really wanna give those guys an opportunity, give those guys an opportunity.
0: So looking at it from this perspective, past this season, There are no defensive tackles under contract. In terms of the wide receivers, you have Diggs, Shakir, and possibly Hardy if they pick up that second-year option. So in terms of immediate need, I think I would have to give the slight edge to wide receiver because they have five under contract right now, and they usually have six or seven on the roster. I could really see it both ways because you could look at that and say, well, look at it past this season because if you're trying to win now, And in the future, you have to get someone in the pipeline at defensive tackle. But the same can be said for wide receiver, where you say, you know what, we need to spend some high capital on it this year to not only fill out the wide receiver room this year, but to also get him in the room for next year to potentially take over for Gabe Davis. Because defensive tackle is one of those positions where you could, I guess I'll use this phrase again, you could patch it up with guys like Jordan Phillips on another cheap one-year contract. Or you can maybe extend Daquan Jones or get Tim Settleback for another year. But wide receiver, you have to go get some high-end talent. And I don't think it's one of those positions where you can say, yeah, let's not worry about it because looking down the road, we should go get a defensive tackle. So let's just get a wide receiver. We'll pick one up on Saturday, 3, 4 o'clock towards the end of the draft. We won't worry about it. So I think they're both needs, especially looking at the 2024 season. But in terms of right now, I'm going to have to give the side edge to wide receiver.
1: I mean, if, if we're talking about those two positions in a vacuum, then yeah, wide receiver is the bigger need than defensive tackle. I, I'm not saying that they can't or shouldn't, or it should ignore wide receiver until rounds five through seven or whatever. I'm just saying that I think that as it stands right now, wide receiver. Isn't their top priority. Middle linebacker
0: is. So again, let's say they care middle linebacker in round one. I'm going to throw out some names who I like here. So if they go with my plan of attack here of going wide receiver round two, or at least relatively early, I like Cedric Tillman wide receiver out of Tennessee. And then for round three, not to spoil my pick for tomorrow, but Siaki Ika, big nose tackle from Baylor. He was 357 pounds, dropped down another 22, so he weighed in at 335. And I think you could get him as a rotational piece for now and work him in. But if they see it the other way around and say, let's go get defensive tackle in round two while we have all this talent, again, I like Keanu Benton. I like, um, of course, their names are slipping me again. But uh, what's his name? Mazie Smith. And Gervin Dexter, too, those are the three that I like for round two. Maisie Smith, I saw mock where he could even be in round one. But if they want to go that route, those are the three Maisie Smith, Gervin Dexter, and Keanu Benton. And then for round three, wide receiver could be Jaden Reed from Michigan State.
1: Yeah, I think round three might be a good place to go for a wide receiver, but. Also, too, you got to keep in mind, I know somebody mentioned this in the comments that it is a relatively weaker wide receiver class than we've seen the last couple of years. So, I mean, that's another reason why I think that wide receiver may not necessarily be as big of a need in the immediate term as other positions on the roster because you can, if you miss out on one of the top prospects, this year, then you just wait till next year and get one of those guys. But it seems like wide receivers sort of getting into that point as a position, like running back, where it's you can find a good quality wide receiver in the draft almost every single year.
0: Well, with that, I'm going to bring Bryce on because I want to see what he thinks about all of this because he is one of our other writers as well, obviously. And he is working on his mock drafts. And I know he's been a big offensive guy, but I think he also likes the defense because, you know, we try to be well-balanced here. And again, it's just that hard thing to do is finding the correct balance. So with that, Bryce Martino with Big Baller Bean in the background tonight. Yeah, there he is. So Bryce, where are you at with all this? Going back to the opening here, how the Bills are – potentially setting themselves up to draft defense early again. How do you feel about that? And what positions do you see them attacking here?
2: Yeah, I think I do agree with you and, you know, your article your the opening discussion here that uh, Buffalo is going to be drafting defense early and often uh, this year. You need linebacker, maybe D-tackle, who knows what how they feel about pass rush with Von Miller injured? So, and you know all their moves so far this year have been on the offensive side of the ball. You know they've had some plug and play, uh, some plug and play guys in free agency this year with uh, Taylor Rapp. Who knows how he's going to be? But I think you know none of these moves that the Bills have made on defense leads them to stay away from drafting. Uh, that position in round one, round two, maybe even round three. So I think you do have to take linebacker first round no matter how how the board falls.
0: Yeah, that's what I think too. I mean, if they really do like a defensive tackle in round one, sure. Like I said, Maisie Smith has been climbing the charts, so maybe they really like him or someone else. Maybe they like a wide receiver. If Jackson Smith and Jigba is still there. I don't think he will be, but if he is, or maybe someone else, Zay Flowers I've seen mock to the Bills, maybe Josh Downs, Jordan Addison, maybe they take one of them, and then they can kind of flirt around in, in round two by trading up or down to try to find their linebacker. But I just think that right now your main goal is taking a linebacker first.
2: Yeah, it's got to be, because you lost the heart and soul of your defense, you know, the leader and play caller in Tremaine Edmonds. So now that defense that you draft first and second round every single year lost its, you know, the main part of the, that side of the ball. So now you're you're left with nobody. Can you trust Tyrell Dotson or Terrell Bernard? I So far, they haven't shown me that. Uh, they can be trusted. So maybe you draft um, Trenton Simpson or someone like that on for linebacker.
0: But again, Simpson doesn't really seem like that fit here where the bills are looking for that true Mike, especially with McDermott taking over the play calling now where if you have Simpson, he's more of that project where I've seen him mock to someone like Pittsburgh where they would probably try to tap into that potential And they're in a bit of a rebuild mode themselves. So they have a little bit more time to work with him. where the bills don't have time to say, Oh, we're going to convert you into a true Mike. And you're also going to have to be the captain of our defense and relay all the plays to our, our guys here. So someone like Trenton Simpson as good and athletic and versatile as he may be, I don't think I'm wasting my time drafting him because you're going to have to spend more time getting him up to speed to take over for Tremaine Edmonds, where Jack Campbell is more of that guy where he can just walk in day one and say, hey, coach, what do you need me to do? I'm here for it.
2: Now, while I do agree with you there about, you know, Jack Campbell being the most pro-ready linebacker, um, Buffalo in years past, they've always gone with a more raw talent with Josh Allen, Tremaine Edmonds, maybe even Kyrie Elam. So they've had that tendency to go after the guys that take a year or two years to develop. So maybe that's where they go this year instead of taking, you know, the most pro-ready guy that everyone wants or expects them to take.
0: But I think it was Zach who mentioned it. They also like going after guys that come from Iowa or just those hard-nosed, gritty players. So Jack Campbell would definitely fit that trait right there coming from Iowa being a big, tough farm boy. So I could definitely see them take Campbell, but I see what you're saying too. Now, in terms of what they can do in round two, since our mock is coming out tomorrow for round three, who did you have the Bills taking with their second pick?
2: I had them taking uh Darnell Wright uh, offensive tackle. I think, no, sorry, go ahead.
0: Uh, I was going to say, I'm I'm glad you mentioned this because that is another position that we should probably talk about because we've talked about linebacker, wide receiver, and defensive tackle, but offensive tackle is definitely in the cards here because, again, they only have Spencer Brown and David Questenberry. So we definitely shouldn't be skipping over the right tackle position. So please tell us about Darnell Wright.
2: Yeah, the offensive tackle position is probably the most – or a very underrated hold that the bills have, you know, you mentioned just having Spencer Brown and David Questenberry Brown can still be that guy for Buffalo, but it's year three now. And I haven't seen anything that leads me to believe that he's our future there. Um, David Questenberry definitely isn't the time he got. um, At right tackle last year, he didn't impress anybody so, I think going offensive tackle is probably the best move for Allen's future. And, you know, maybe even the Bills' run game if they decide to get that going.
0: But here's the thing with Spencer Brown, where Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott <clears throat> have been very high on him ever since the end of the regular season and postseason, actually, because that's when they started having all their end of the season press conferences. But either way, they've been very high on Spencer Brown. And, One thing that they keep saying is that he hasn't had a full offseason yet because he was battling through injuries last year, and that really set him back. So the way that they're speaking, I'm not sure if they're going to want to take another tackle high in the draft. And again, they've only taken three offensive linemen before round five since this regime took over. So based on their track record, that's something that they typically don't do. And if they're still high on Spencer Brown, I'm not sure if this is a year to do it. But on the flip side, they also didn't find that veteran to give him competition. And like you said, Questenberry is more depth. He's really not competition. So I was thinking that they were going to use some of their money to go get someone like a Brandon shell or just another free agent who was out there. We talked about Jermaine Illuminor (laughs) who ended up going back to Vegas, but ultimately they stood pat there. They put their money on the interior, and that's still a pretty big hole. So now it's like, well, with free agency kind of towards the end here, obviously there are still more players that you can sign. Are they really going to want to draft one to hinder Spencer Brown's growth and development? Because I think what they do in the draft says a lot about what they think about Spencer Brown and what they think and what they say are two different things.
2: And that's why I tend not to believe – 90% 90% of what comes out of their mouth because you know last year they said they're not going after any big time players they got Von Miller and OJ Howard so now they're saying that you know they still believe in Spencer Brown and still think he can be their future but is that just some of the BS that comes out of their mouth year after year or or do they actually believe that I'm tending to I'm kind of leaning towards them not actually believing it and just hyping it up, because what he's put on on tape the last two years hasn't impressed me at all. You know, Josh can, you know, roll out to his right side. James Cook and Devin Singletary couldn't run out to the right side uh, the last couple of years. So now, you know, if they're really investing in the offensive line and want to keep Josh upright and keep him. You know, from being another Cam Newton, you got to invest some more time and resources to the right tackle position instead of. Everybody in your crew identifies
3: as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the Filet-O-Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.
0: And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just
2: $6.
0: Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
2: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know, maybe hindering your future trying to make Spencer Brown work. Now, I'm going to throw it
0: back to Zach here because I want to round out this segment by talking about one more position that I think could be on the table here, and that's tight end. And the guy that I want to bring up for this is Darnell Washington, where he can be used as a tight end. And they're saying that he can also be used as a tackle. So could that be competition for Spencer Brown, where you get someone who has raw physical traits like that? He's very strong, very big. He's not too polished. So that way you're not necessarily blocking Spencer Brown, but you're also getting someone who you get him in the room and say, oh man, this guy's coming for my job. So, Zach, what do you think about the potential draft pick of Darnell Washington or even just a tight end in general as a position to target here for the Bills? I mean, this is a position where the Bills have been acting like they've been wanting to run a lot of two tight end sets over the last few years. They've tried it with guys like Tyler Croft and then Jacob Hollister, most recently O.J. Howard and Quentin Morris. But they really haven't been able to find that tight end, two behind Dawson Knox. So do you see the tight end position being a position that the Bills could target in the draft to not only help Dawson Knox, but to also help Spencer Brown in the blocking game?
1: I will say my first part of a response will be for two things. One, the suggestion you're saying that maybe he could, <laughs> what What did you say? It was like something about him pushing Spencer Brown at offensive tackle. Like, I don't know. That just sounded weird. Like that's not going to happen, but well, I get what the, you're the saying reason, about The reason him. I said
0: that is because they're saying that right now he's a tight end, but based on his physical traits, NFL teams might want to turn him into a right tackle. And in that case, Spencer Brown would have time to still say, you know what? I'm still this team starting right tackle. But if the bills give this guy enough time to develop properly by next year, he could really be pushing to take my job.
1: Okay, I don't know who the heck was saying to convert Darnell Washington from tight end to right tackle, but that sounds insane. Like, the dude's a tight end. He's an extremely athletic tight end. He can catch the ball and is a really good run blocker. Why would you want to move him to a position he's never played before when you could just keep him as a tight end? And like you said, you could run more two tight end sets. The Bills always seem to want to have, at the very least, one receiving threat and one blocking tight end in that room, on in their 12 personnel packages. So why not get someone like Darnell Washington who can do both? He can block, he can pass catch. And <laughs> no Bryce, in our private chat, he just said something about. Do I want Bobby Hart as tight end, too? Yeah, no, not at all. You, no, get out of here. Put him in timeout. Come on, get out of here.
2: <laughs> oh, come on. It's a good question.
1: <laughs> it, it makes about as much sense as moving Darnell Washington to right tackle. Let's put it. Yeah, that. who Let's said that? Right? Mike
2: Mayock? Like, go with the <laughs> times.
1: <laughs> Mike Mayock, the failed GM. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, all right. So back to the topic at hand. Obviously, yes, I would be interested in Darnell Washington. He would definitely be an upgrade at tight end, too. And, again, he's he's can both catch passes. He's an athletic freak. And he can be a blocking tight end. So, that would fill that check mark for the offense and for McDermott. So, I would be interested in him.
0: So, aside from using his size to be able to – Block on the offensive line, in terms of just the Bills getting a tight end in general, a tight end two, to be able to be not only a pass catcher but a run blocker, because I think Dawson Knox is without a doubt the pass catching tight end for this team. But I think to complement him, you get someone who can line up like you mentioned, Bobby Hart, but better. Where they, the Bills actually used Bobby Hart as that tight end two last year. That's pretty much how he lined up and that's not a permanent solution. So that kind of shows that they might want to get a run blocking tight end who, okay, maybe to rephrase what I was saying about taking Spencer Brown's job, maybe he doesn't take Brown's job. Although that's something that the bills really could do if they want to look into that, but just to provide more stability in running situations, so do we see a big run blocking tight end potentially going to Buffalo early in the draft or just in general?
1: I would say more likely in general.
0: Bryce, what are your thoughts on this?
2: Yeah, as much fun as I would have watching Darnell Washington um, in a Buffalo Bills uniform, I don't think it's going to happen in the first two rounds. One or two rounds, whatever he's projected going. Um, I think we have more pressing needs than uh tight end two to you know to draft early and early on. But I would love to see something happen in middle rounds.
0: Got a super chat from William. Appreciate that, William. He says if Mayor is there at 27 and you're being, are you taking him? Knox and mayor would be fantastic. I would agree. I'm a Notre Dame fan. Although, I will admit, I didn't watch them as much as I should have this year. I was always working on Saturdays. I did go to a Notre Dame game at Syracuse at the Carrier Dome, or should I say the JMA Wireless Dome now? But, yeah, Michael Meyer, Meyer, he is a very, very solid tight end where he might not have best measurables, but I was reading a scouting report that said something about, like, maybe he doesn't test that well, but he's just a proven commodity where he knows how to work the defense and he's that big body who will rack up the touchdowns. So, yeah, I mean if you could pair Dawson Knox and Michael Meyer, that I mean that would be a great pair, but here's the thing. To me that'd be a reach at 27 when you have other holes to fill. If this was last year or years past where the Bills did such a good job of filling all their holes in free agency and you say we can literally draft best player available. The Bills did such a good job last year of doing that that they were able to draft a punter with their first pick in the sixth round. But we're not doing that this year where they have more pressing needs to be able to say, Hey, best player available. Let's just go get a tight end in round one. While I agree Dawson Knox and Michael Meyer would be great. I just don't see that happening this year.
2: Yeah, neither do I. I mean, like you said, we have more pressing needs you know, linebacker has to be filled within, you know, at pick 27, no matter who you take Um, wide receiver could even be a possibility offensive tackle. I mean, there's a bunch of other needs to fill at 27 before tight end.
0: Zach, before we transition over to Bryce's article about Taylor Rapp and getting into the defense, any final thoughts about Michael Meyer or tight ends in general?
1: Well, I would have to say I agree with Bryce. Like, it would be nice if the Bills would go ahead and take one of the top tight ends because this is a really good tight end class. But I think that they're going to have more pressing needs to worry about early in the draft. I do think, though, that they may very well take one day three.
0: All right, well, with that, Let's transition over to the defense now. We are almost an hour and 15 minutes into tonight's show, and Yeston is in the background now, so we're going to be getting to him momentarily. But to lead into Yeston, I want to talk about the Taylor Rapp signing because that was very, very interesting where we were talking last week at this time about what the Bills could do during week three for agency, and we're like, well, maybe they'll just sign a couple of low-cost veterans, they'll bring back Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson, which they did bring back Jordan Phillips. But Taylor Rapp was not on my radar, especially after the Bills re-signed Jordan Poyer, and Rapp even admitted that the Bills were looking at him as a Poyer replacement. But then they get Jordan Poyer to come back, and they still get Taylor Rapp for a very team-friendly deal. So guys, how do we feel about this? Because now the Bills could potentially run some three safety sets.
2: Yeah, I love this addition. Like you mentioned, rap was a possibility for Buffalo before Poyer even signed here, so that makes his signing even more sweeter. Um, And he can play multiple other positions, too. Box safety, linebacker, uh, corner, D-line, and not to mention even safety. So he can play pretty much everywhere on, on defense, and he's... You know, good at every position too. He had, I think, nine interceptions last four years with LA. So he he's a great ball hawk. He can play every position. I, it's a great signing.
0: Zach, before I get to you, the the thing that I want to say about Taylor Rapp again, he's a guy within that age range, twenty five to twenty seven years old, coming off of his rookie contract, where the Bills look at that and say, Hey, you had some nice years with the Rams. But we think that we can turn you even to, even into more of a special talent here. And on the surface, it looks like he could be a Micah Hyde replacement. But digging into it a little bit deeper, like I was saying, maybe they use him in some more three safety sets where you could use Taylor Rapp, Micah Hyde, and Jordan Porter this year. Maybe some dime look for the Bills. And that's the fun part about this. We're going to have this conversation with Yeston when he comes on. Does the fact that McDermott is calling plays now, does that change anything? Like if Leslie Frazier was still here, would we have Taylor Rapp on this roster right now?
1: I mean, I think that they probably still would have signed Taylor Rapp. It's just a matter of whether or not Frazier would have used him.
0: So, what are your thoughts about this in 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 general, Zach? And what do you think about running some three safety sets or just using Taylor Rapp as maybe I shouldn't use the word hybrid, but again, just that sneaky weapon on defense?
1: Well, first, I think it was a really good signing, especially considering he was getting looks from other teams for possibly a starting job right away, but he chose to come here and potentially sit a year or. Like you said, maybe they use them in a uh, in three safety sets, maybe as a hybrid, not necessarily linebacker, but maybe we'll finally see the thick dime that everyone's wanted to see for the past couple of years. And yes, I had to say it because you were just teeing that up, weren't you, Kev?
0: <laughs> sure. So <laughs> now the Bills have the Los Angeles Rams 2019 second round pick and their fifth-round pick between David Edwards and Taylor Rapp. So I guess uh, Les Snead really does mean it when he says F those picks.
1: (laughs) Hey, people wanted the Bills to be more like the Rams, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. The Buffalo Panthers, Buffalo Rams. (laughs) So, Bryce, what else did you uh, include in that article that you want to mention here about Taylor Rapp and maybe just the safety room in general and what we're looking at with the depth chart and maybe, you know, tying it back to the draft, is this a position that the bills could draft or are they set there? Because when actually, actually, (laughs) I just forgot. I wrote the article because you, I wrote the initial article that they signed them, but then you talked about it from a general overview about what the safety room looks like. And When I published the article and I was sharing it on Facebook throughout the groups, I said the Bills just built back their safety room incredibly fast here, where they went from, I don't want to say one of the worst safety rooms, but the way that they went in a span of two to three weeks here was pretty insane.
2: Yeah. Going from, you know, Zane Anderson and Jared Maiden to uh, having Jordan Poyer back and, uh, signing Taylor Rapp is pretty awesome, but I still think uh, Buffalo does go after his safety somewhere in the draft just because, you know, if something happens, again, like last year where you lose Poyer, you lose Hyde, and maybe even another uh, depth guy, you want that added, you want that other player there It's just so you don't have to go signing straight free agents and hoping that you can plug and play them in you know, get at least some some of that talent back. So I like Buffalo going after a safety in round maybe three or, or four just to have that, you know, someone there for the future so we're not drafting someone super high next year like we're doing with Tremaine Edmonds' replacement uh, this year. One, so get- one last thing I want to mention, too, is, Deck you know, blood. yeah, he's not the fastest player in the – In the league, he's kind of slow for a safety, so I'm not sure how Buffalo wants to, you know, fit that into defense. Maybe keep him more as a linebacker slash safety hybrid.
0: So, do both of you guys think that the Bills should and will draft a safety? Because I'm almost looking at this saying we don't need to draft a safety as of right now. Like, yeah, I understand. Why you would want to, but if Damar Hamlin can actually make a comeback here, you have Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, Taylor Rapp, Damar Hamlin, Jared Maiden, and Zane Anderson. So and and Cam Lewis, if you want. So there there are seven safeties right there. Where looking at the future, yeah, you might want to draft and get one in the pipeline, but you could do that next year as well. So could the Bills just totally not draft a safety? Because a lot of people thought they were going to draft one last year to get him in the pipeline, and they didn't. They actually didn't do anything to the safety room last year, and they ran it back with what they had. So would you guys be shocked if they do not draft a safety come, I was going to say come April, but it is April, so in uh, four weeks here?
2: Yeah, I would definitely be shocked because, you know, if Jordan Poyer or Hyde go down, you want a you know, a decent enough safety in there to, you know, to replace him instead of having Zane Anderson or Jared Maiden step up, you know, and I know I already mentioned drafting for the future once before, but, you know, if Mike Hyde suddenly retires, you don't want to be stuck trying to find four or five guys to fill his position next year when you could just do it this year, draft one player and just, get it over with and not have to worry about it in future years.
0: Zach, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I'm with Bryce here. You got to draft one this year. Last year they didn't draft it because they didn't need to – well, need to because, you know, they were extremely fortunate. Hyde and Poyer had not missed that many games over their careers in Buffalo. And then last year he got plagued with injuries. Hyde went down early in the season. Poyer missed – few games and they had to scramble they had to scramble to get backups in there like damar hamlin i mean he was showing progress and like there's still uncertainty though over whether or not he'll be able to play again i know that the nfl pa i think it was was the players association's medical expert or something had said that he will probably play again but we don't know at this point. It's not 100% guaranteed until he steps foot on the field. And I would say, though, the one wild card here would be Christian Benford because we already saw what Cam Lewis was like at safety. I'd rather him just stay at corner. But Christian Benford was the guy who came in and everyone thought, oh, maybe he could maybe he could end up uh, switching over to safety. And Bean had mentioned that in the offseason, so he McDermott. But, again, there's no guarantee that a cornerback can successfully convert to safety. It's not 100% guaranteed that he could make the transition. So draft an actual safety, someone who has played the position in college, who has experience there, draft him probably, I would say, third round, maybe early day three. You don't even really have to go first or second round with it. But again, for a team that preaches winning now and in the future, you got to be prepared for the future at the safety position.
2: And not to mention, Micah Hyde has had multiple neck injuries. So you never know when his time is going to come and you have to fill his position.
0: Again, I see where you guys are, where, where you're coming from. But if I'm the Bills, I'm not even thinking about a safety until day three because for all the reasons that we talked about at the beginning of the show, linebacker, wide receiver, defensive tackle, maybe defensive end, tight end, right tackle. I mean, those are five, six positions right there that are more pressing needs before safety. So that would almost be a waste to me. But again, I see where you're coming from. Maybe they do want to take one. And here's the thing. If they do trade back in round one, If they trade back from round one to round two and get some assets back in their process of getting Jack Campbell, maybe that's a route where you say, oh, now we have an extra fifth or sixth round pick. Now we can go get a safety. But as of right now, with six picks, I'm not sure if safety is that high on the radar. Now, one last thing I'll say here about Taylor Rapp before we get Yeston to come on to talk about Sean McDermott calling the defensive plays and how this all ties into each other here. In terms of what Taylor Rapp has done over his career. So again, he was a second round draft pick by the Rams in 2019. And that year he played in 15 games, making 10 starts. He had hundred total tackles, two interceptions and a 63.3 PFF grade 2020. He only played in nine games, made five starts, 44 tackles, one pick 67.5 PFF grade. And then in 2021, the year that the Rams won the Super Bowl, started all 17 games, made 94 tackles, had four interceptions, one and a half sacks, and a 65.5 PFF grade. And then last year, 2022, 16 games, 16 starts, 92 tackles, two picks, and a career best 76.2 PFF grade. So here's a very interesting fact here. According to SpotTrack, Taylor Rapp's market value was $10 million. He was projected to get a three-year, $30.2 million deal. So for the Bills to get him on that cheap one-year contract, just an amazing job by Brandon being in the front office.
2: I think it was a great move for you know, this late in the in free agency where, you know, Taylor rep still being available, spot track, having him at, I think it was what, 10 million per year and Buffalo getting him on a one year, very, very small deal. I think that was a win for, for us. All right. I think with that, we are going to transition
0: to Yeston Harris and Sean McDermott. You guys are good to stay on, right? Yeah, I am. All right, so we might as well go with the four-person panel here for the first time this year, at least. We used to do that last year when we had the Writers Club going. But now we can get the four-box pattern going here between me, Zach, Bryce, and Yeston. Good evening, everyone. How you doing?
3: I am barely alive. How are you, mate?
0: <laughs> well, I wasn't expecting to hear that, but <laughs> hope you can make it for the next half hour.
3: Yeah, I'm sure I can survive it. <laughs>
0: So for the viewers that don't know, you're up in the Toronto area, correct?
3: I am. Yeah. Yeah. The great white North. Although now it's just sort of North.
0: I got to ask, are you a Maple Leafs fan? And a Raptors fan?
3: I don't, you can't, you can't ask me if I'm a Maple Leafs fan when I'm surrounded by bills, by, by Sabres fans. You know, that's, (laughs) that's just, it's, it's, it's a pointed question. I feel like you don't want the people to, to love me. Um, but yeah, yeah, I am a, I am a Leafs fan. Um, I'm not a Buffalo native. I'd never been to Buffalo. That was never my place. The Bills happened to me, but the, uh, the 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 Leafs the Leafs were forced upon me by by my family. So don't blame me.
0: So I saw last night that you guys have to play Tampa again in the first round. And what is it? Eight years in a row now of not being able to get out of the first round. Or if they lose this year, will it be eight?
3: I think it's this year makes the date, and uh, I am not overly optimistic. I gotta tell you, you know, I mean, I've been I've been a Bills fan for a while, and you know, you get you get used to, and you get comfortable with the kind of knowing the team that they were, and throughout the drought, your expectations were pretty low. After this many years of the lease being really good until April, you get you get used to it. I don't, it, it doesn't hurt so much anymore, you know. Like, I'm comfortable. I'm sitting here with, you know, all my uh, all my wits about me and an acute awareness that I'm probably going to watch a hockey series this playoffs.
0: I can't even imagine seven, eight years of not being able to get out of the first round because we are just so tired of the Bills not being able to get over the hump. And it's been, what, three years? And I know, couple that with the 17-year drought, so it's really 20 years. Mm-hmm. But the Bills were at least in the AFC Championship game to not be able to get out of the first round, I would go crazy.
3: Oh, it's 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 lunacy, but it's also sort of a it's it's sadistically comforting at times, you know? Like you 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 know what you have. You understand that this is a defined thing and it's not changing. And I don't think that Leafs have done anything to get them over the hump, and I don't think they've done anything to have them fall short of the hump. And uh, yeah, it's 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 uncomfortably comfortable. And
0: are you a Raptors fan?
3: No, 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 no. Are you gonna hate that team that too? I'm a I'm a, I'm a Boston Celtics fan. Oh, <laughs> Nick and,
0: Celtics um, baby.
3: Yeah, I mean uh, it's. It, I, I think that being a Celtics fan in Toronto is because kind of an oddity, because um, everyone here is of course Raptors people, um, but I mean I uh, my excuse is that I'm not from here either. You know, I, uh, the only teams that uh, uh, that I'm that I think I owe my allegiance to are the ones given to me by blood, and uh, that's the Bills. And um, everything else kind of comes second. All
0: right. Well, speaking of the Bills, let's get back into football here. So, yes, y- you wrote an article this past week are talking it? about the new play caller for the Bills, and he's uh, really yes. not that new.
3: No, well, you may is, you may have heard of him. Yeah. he's um yeah a little little known guy <laughs> known as Sean McDermott. You yeah, know, I think he I think he's Irish. Uh, um, anyway, uh, McDermott, he uh, you know, he's he's obviously got an extensive history of play calling here, but um, I think that it's uh, a lot shorter than a lot a lot of people realize. I mean, he's got twenty years of coaching defense before he became a head coach of the Bills. Um, but. His, uh, his actually being the man with the clipboard, yelling into the microphone for half of a game every weekend. Um, he, he's only been doing that for six years. Um, sorry, uh, eight years before he came to Buffalo as a head coach. Two years in Philly, where he probably got fired. Um, and then six years in Carolina, running a defense that didn't always do statistically well. But they were one thing above all else, which is they were regularly aggressive. And uh, it's it's a, sh- a shocking change from the passivity of the Bills' defense of modern day. They pretty consistently you know, uh, p- p- put the same lineup out there and let the offense do what they're going to do, but they, you know just try and throw the spaghetti at a pretty slippery wall, too, if you track the metaphor. But it's uh, it's it's interesting. He, of course, you know, in Philly, he was a student of Jim Johnson, and uh, you know, it's kind of he carried a lot of those lessons with him. Is what made him such a great coordinator in Carolina. Uh, but he's he didn't really bring that with him to Buffalo um, because I don't think I think that he's been the leader of this team for this yeah, ever since he took over. Obviously, he had the heart and soul of the franchise for a long time, uh, but his. Actual impact on, you know, play calling was relatively minimal on game days. And when he did take over, uh, as you know, you know, take over play calling from Fraser on the occasions that he did, because sometimes he would wrest control of the defense from him, um, it changed the way the defense looked and performed. It wasn't always a positive change, but it's different. It's, we're not going to have the exact same plays run as we had. You know, he's not going to sit here and replicate everything Fraser did.
0: Yeah, so what were your initial reactions when you found out this news? Because this was something that goes back to, well, the last the last day of February, pretty much, because it was a very long time that we were waiting to find out what the Bills were going to do with their defensive coordinator position. Mm. And then it was announced on February 28th that Leslie Frazier was stepping down, yeah. and the Bills were just going to roll with it. Mm-hmm. And there were some rumors that McDermott was just going to do it himself. And then as time went on, it seemed more likely. And then he confirmed it last week at the league meetings. So what yes. were your initial thoughts when you found that out?
3: Um, I found out that uh, I, I, when I found out that he was taking over play calling officially, um, I was quite honestly, quite happy about it. I think that uh, his, his, his style of play calling was, it was always aggressive at the defensive line, which is where I, one of the more marked changes um, between him and uh, Leslie Frazier, is that McDermott was always aggressive at the line of scrimmage on defense. And um, he had, he had um, these interesting blitz packages that he would always run back in the day. And I'd love to see a return of that. But I don't want it to cost uh, the quality and consistency and discipline of the secondary, which has been the strength of the team for since, since he and Frazier took over back in 2017. Um, I think that... I think that it's a positive change. If the change was necessary um, to lose Frazier, then of all people, I think that at the time that Frazier's decision came out, he McDermott was the best on the market. There were no big-name free-agent defensive coordinators or soon-to-be defensive coordinators. He uh, He just kind of took a look at it because frazier's decision came in at an inopportune time he uh you know obviously the, the decision to step down was a difficult one for him and he took his time making it but by the time he did announce it there was no one left to hire you know bit if the bills were going to move on from him in a more permanent manner as opposed to the one-year break with speculation that we currently have um i think that uh him letting go at the time that he did was oddly tactical they may have put the Bills into a position where they needed to retain him. Um, or you know, at least for a, a, a security of next year and beyond.
0: Now, what were your thoughts at the end of the postseason after that terrible loss to the Bengals? Because there were a lot of fans who wanted Leslie Frazier fired and mm-hmm. Ken Dorsey, for that matter. But in terms of Leslie Frazier, here's a main stat that stuck out to me. 107 points and 1,407 yards. That stands for the amount of points and yards that the Bills have given up of their last three playoff losses. Mm -hmm. So going back to 2020, the Bills are averaging almost 36 points allowed per game and almost 470 yards allowed per game under Leslie Frazier. Mm -hmm. And if he is supposed to be this defensive mastermind, how do his defenses always crumble in the playoffs? And we've seen time and time again, where they play that soft zone, nickel coverage, going back to 13 seconds. And then this year when it was starting two on the Bengals and they're giving them 10 yards of cushion. Mm. So that was a stat right there that angered a lot of fans, including myself when, how are you supposed to look at that and say, how are we supposed to get over the hump when we're giving up 107 points and 1,407 yards over our last three playoff losses?
3: I believe that the main problem um, is that uh, the main problem to the fans is that they don't have a convenient enough scapegoat um, but the main problem for the actual team was that we've consistently lost the line of scrimmage and you know when you have to when you have to rely on top tier secondary performance play in and play out then you go you're going to Fort Park. you know they just they can't cover enough of the field to you know, you will be consistently giving up short yardage which is what the bills have done. Um, well at least giving underneath yardage, and you know, of course, you can't stop Tyreek Hill running past you for a thousand yards on a three-yard slant, but if you win at the line of scrimmage, then he doesn't get the opportunity, right? Same thing goes for you know the performances, the performance against the Bengals this season and both performances against the Chiefs of the of the two years previously. My Initial thought is that we just don't have a there is no specific individual to blame. You can look at Leslie Frazier and say, "Oh, look, the play calling was bad." But I think that it's dishonest to call it that if you don't if you don't have a more sort of intimate understanding of what calls he made and how they were bad and how they could have been improved upon. What could you have done better? What errors you know, what errors did he make that you don't think another guy would have made? Um, is it, whether they are listening to the advanced statistics too much, you know, I mean, for example, the 10 yard cushion on third and two, when they're in at the 10 yard line, the 15 yard line, um, you know, based on analytics, that's not a bad call in that scenario. It's not the wrong call. It's a call. You could have picked a different one, but if they're listening to the, if you're an advanced analytics guy and you agree with advanced analytics in most scenarios, then You should agree with that call. The result of the call does not change whether or not it was a good or a bad one. Uh, It's what you do in that situation when presented with it. And Frazier generally made good decisions when presented with these situations. But the problem is we consistently faced these phenomenally well quarterbacked defenses. And if you track Leslie Frazier's track record over the years, you notice that his, his, his defenses only ever really fell apart and fell apart completely and in their entirety when playing against uh, any quarterback who was arguably top three to five in the league it's you need guys who can fit tight windows because it's a zone second you know the secondary zone and any elite quarterback can play well against zone coverage regardless of personnel regardless of play call
0: see and that's a problem like to be able to get over the hump I don't care how good the quarterback is if you're a good defensive coordinator and if you have a good defense, you have to figure out and scheme how to beat Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow. Mm-hmm. Because that was the thing in the playoffs where a lot of people were saying, well, Von Miller was hurt, Micah Hyde was hurt, the whole Demar Hamlin thing. Mm-hmm. And yes, I understand all of those factors. But at the end of the day, the way Leslie Frazier was calling his defense, you could have had 11 Hall of Famers out there and the Bengals still would have won just because they totally outcoached us to the point where all they were doing was dinking and dunking on us, and Frazier didn't make any adjustments. And you mentioned Tyree Kill, and I think what Tyree Kill did to the Bills over the last couple of years, specifically in that 13 seconds game, was one of the worst things that could happen because the Bills got so scared of Tyree Kill taking the top off their defense, they turned into this bend-but-don't-break defense mm-hmm. where they're like, you know what, it's third and two go ahead and get the first down as long as you're not getting a touchdown on us. We'll just hold you to a field goal. Mm. So those were the moments that really bothered me because then you look and see how the Bengals and the the Chiefs are playing each other in the AFC Championship game, and it's third and two, press man coverage. They're playing aggressive right on the line of scrimmage. Mm -hmm. They're not giving these 10, 15 yards of cushion and going based off the analytics or whatever have you. They're going based on the eye test saying, Oh, it's certain too. You just want to dump it off to Joe Mixon? We're going to make sure that he doesn't get the first down.
3: Hmm. And see, I do agree with you. There, I mean, a great defensive coordinator should have a more measured and effective approach than saying, you know what, trust the analytics. I'm just going to listen to them. I'll you know I'll go with the numbers, whatever they say, you know. Or yeah, you know, maybe uh maybe you know maybe I need to change up my scheme. Maybe the scheme that that's worked for me for 17 games isn't working for this one, but. I think that it's on McDermott in that scenario to take it out of the hands of Frazier. And if McDermott didn't, then that is on him. I don't think it's a fireable offense. I think that it's absurd. I think McDermott is indisputably a top six coach in the NFL. Um, however, the fact that he didn't take it out of the hands of Frazier when he needed to was telling the bills had a million reasons and excuses why they didn't lose that game and a lot of them were just and reasonable you know it wasn't it it, it, it's it's not harsh to criticize them but it's also fair to understand that there was a lot going on but mcdermott had the opportunity to take the ball out of Frazier's hands and take command of the defense and he didn't then and i'm interested to see how he responds to that in 2023 with an entire offseason of him being knowing he's going to be the one with the clipboard, he's not able to delegate the same way he did. Um, it hurt losing those way the way that we did, but also I think that a large part of the Bengals' loss was yes, the defense played poorly when they absolutely needed to play well, but perhaps you know it, it wasn't such a significant blowout, the Bills weren't so utterly dominated on defense that they couldn't have pulled out a win or made a close competitive game happen if the offense had taken any time off the clock if they had any degree of possession whatsoever if they'd ever moved the chains at all if they'd ever given the defense a moment i think that the defense played poorly but there was far more than just the defense and the defensive play calling that was wrong in that game
0: so that being said with mcdermott taking over the play calling do you think that we will see an improvement do you think that he will go back to his aggressive ways and we'll see more blitz packages and we'll see them playing press man coverage and utilizing someone like Kyrie Elam who was drafted for that very moment. Mm-hmm. To play so do you think man. that the, the, the team is still going to play bend but don't break, play soft zone nickel coverage, or do you think that they're going to mix things up, get aggressive, and now tying it back in with, with the Taylor Rapp signing, mm-hmm. can we see some three safety looks?
3: The Bills didn't just lose Frazier and bring in McDermott as the play caller. They also lost their, they also lost, fired, fired their safeties coach. It was the only actual true firing that occurred on the Bills staff this offseason. It was the only position where they thought, where they looked at their coaching staff and said to themselves, this needs to change. Uh, and I think that that's, that that followed by the, uh, the surprising retention of Jordan Poyer and then the signing of Taylor App could indicate a significant change. I think that McDermott was aggressive and he did he did use different safety packages when he was coaching the Carolina defense. He didn't exclusively sit in um, a base 4-3 nickel all play every play no matter what, no matter what down and distance, no matter what the situation is. Um, I, I do think that was largely Frazier's scheme. Um, it's McDermott's defense and it always has been, but he gave a great deal of respect and trust in Leslie Frazier. Um, So much so that I think that he was willing to let him call the game poorly if it meant that that's where the credit lay. Um, That's one of my largest criticisms of McDermott was his unwillingness to step in. Um, But now that he's done it, I don't believe it's too little too late. I think we could see some significant changes, but I don't think it's going to be that much different. I think what we're going to see is more creative blitz packages. We're going to see modifications to the rotation on the defensive line. We are going to see, I, th- I do believe we're going to see some of that, you know, some of that thick dime, as it's called, um, you know, maybe bump Milano to the middle linebacker for a play or two, but not exclusively because this franchise has done one thing consistently throughout the entirety of this um, this front office and this coaching staff's tenure, which is that they refuse to take up someone out of the thing they're successful at to cover a hole. They would not, when Edmonds was injured, Milano stay, played the same position and Dodson filled in. Yeah, um, he didn't move over because he was the best linebacker available. He didn't move into the you know to the big man in the middle spot because it wasn't where he was best at. When our cornerbacks were going down left and right early in the season, you may remember the Miami game amongst others um, where Ingram was getting real snaps in the second half because we just didn't have enough bodies. You know who didn't move from that position despite being uh, a pro bowl cornerback? Taron Johnson. Stayed at, the, stayed at the slot. Did not adjust his role in the slightest because why would you create a weakness to cover up a hole somewhere else. I think that uh it's the, the the play of the safeties and cornerbacks in McDermott's defense in twenty twenty three is going to be very similar to what it is. I just don't think it's going to be as strict to the base four three nickel. I do think they that we could see some of those uh, those thick dime three safety packages. We could see Milano move to the middle here and there, and um you know Rap and poya drop down on either side and leave Hyde alone at the top. I do think that we could see a lot of that, but. I don't think it's going to be a consistent snap-for-snap snap change. I think it's going to be gradual if they do phase it in, and it's going to be more situational throughout the course of the season.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Taryn Johnson, and I think that's very interesting because we talked about how Leslie Frazier strictly played that nickel defense where mm-hmm. they refused to put a third linebacker out there. Mm-hmm. But now I- I'm beginning to wonder – I'm thinking about this as you're talking here. Could we see more of Terrell Bernard? Where maybe <clears throat> I, saw, I saw your eyes light up there, where yeah. the Bills drafted him last year and it looked like a wasted pick. But what if they were planning ahead to say, if Frazier's gone next year, McDermott's taking over, we're hmm. going to run more of a 4 3 defense. He's going to be our third linebacker, put him on the outside, and we still have Taron Johnson. But we don't have to strictly be in nickel defense where Bernard's going to get some more snaps. Or like Mm -hmm. you said, if you want to go a thick dime, take Taron Johnson out. Well, in that case, he would leave Taron Johnson in. But either way, you would put Taylor Rapp in there. But Mm -hmm. I just think this gives the Bills more flexibility where you can do more things, whether you want to put that extra DB out there or an extra linebacker.
3: So when the Bills brought in Taron Johnson... Do you know who he replaced in the Bills' defense when he became a uh, you know a 100% of snap starter?
0: I'm not he sure did, if I do.
3: He did not replace a slot cornerback. He replaced our third linebacker, Lorenzo Alexander. That was the switch. That's right. That, Lorenzo Alexander went out, and the Bills moved out of a base 4-3 into a base 4-3 nickel. And it was the introduction of a quality slot cornerback like Taron Johnson that let them make the move that they'd always wanted to make. That's why when they found he was able to be effective in the slot, they were able to transition into a defense that they would rather have. There would have been no issue retaining an an extra outside linebacker in in a 4-3 scheme like um, Lorenzo Alexander. Um, They're comfortable with using more linebackers. They've done it before, and it's what McDermott started out with when he took over. Uh, this this defense and this team, uh, but he I, I think that that's more of the role that we could see from Trevor Nott. I don't think he's going to be coming in and standing next to Milano snap for snap um, I do think that we that after a year I, with a year on largely on the bench unfortunately under his belt he, because you know, on both sides of the ball the Bills get comfortable with the personnel they have and they don't trust the rookies because they don't want to change anything mid-season their off-seasons are so valuable for, to them for that. But I think that Therese Bernard, um would become more of a Lorenzo Alexander, um, not next to Milano, but across from Mar- Milano with a guy like I expect. I don't believe the Bills will draft a linebacker in the first round. I don't think Jack Campbell's going to be a Buffalo Bill next season. I do think that they roll with, um, with uh, Dodson in the middle. He was an equitable starter. And I think that the focus of the defense and the change uh, in direction is going to be the change in direction of the personnel usage is going to be more important than just replacing a replacing Tremaine Edmonds one for one. So I think that we could see a, still a return to the base four three, but if they do, it will be with Bernard and Milano outside and with another body in the middle because once again, they don't ask people to do what they're not good at in that, in except in very rare scenarios where the skills are applicable, like for example, Christian Benford transitioning from cornerback to safety.
0: So you do not think that they're going to draft Campbell?
3: I don't. I think they do draft a linebacker because they need one for depth and because it's becoming a, a relatively valuable position And if they want to maintain the roster long term and expand the Super Bowl window as opposed to just limiting it for the sake of trying to win one right now. Um, I think that that's their plan. They move forwards with um, with a an, an equitable starter in the defense. Some guy who they don't absolutely love but a guy who knows the scheme it is uh, or knows whatever the scheme is going to be because once again it may not be the same
0: so do you think terrell dodson could be opening day starter
3: i do um but i only believe that if we don't i believe that he could be the opening day starter if they maintain the exact same defensive lineup and scheme consistently as they have in the past few years because he is the closest thing that there is out there on the market right now to just a guy you can bring in and have him replace Edmonds. Very few guys will know the defense better and be able to fill that role. And Dodson did have some really good tape out there from the past couple of seasons.
0: Yeah, I I see some people in the comments saying that Dodson hasn't been that good, but I think he has played pretty solid Mm -hmm. when he's been called upon. But I just don't know if he can be a full-time starter. I agree. He's a
3: downgrade. He's definitely a downgrade. He's definitely a
0: downgrade, yeah. Yeah.
3: And it's It's just how much of a
0: downgrade is he?
3: Exactly, and I think that he's a reasonable enough down. Da- I think that the, the, the their margin between Edmonds and Dodson is closer than the fans' margin between Dodson and Edmonds is. I think Edmonds was yeah. the clear starter and the best guy they had, and so they would use him for every snap, and there's no point putting a guy who's second best out there just because you can um, when you have Edmonds out there and healthy. But Dodson was not a problem on defense when he was filling in for Edmonds and not a problem is going to be, have to be good enough, especially if you expect the bills to invest on offense.
0: So let's just put some hypotheticals together here. Sure. I could see this bill's defense rounding up as you have Milano obviously as your weak side linebacker. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to say either Jack Campbell or Tyrell Dodson as your middle linebacker. Sure. And then you have Taron Johnson in the slot platooning mm-hmm. with Tyrell Bernard Mm-hmm. mixing in some four, three with some nickel, and then you might be able to mix in. Like we talked about some dime looks and put Taylor rap back there with the third safety. So mm-hmm. I think the bills are just trying to expand what they're doing on defense here. And that's another quote that Sean McDermott had where he said, no matter how close you are with someone, he's not going to think like you do. So mm-hmm. that means as much as Leslie Frazier was my defensive coordinator and my assistant, and as much, trust and faith that I put in him at the end of the day, he is never going to have the exact same thoughts that I'm going to have. Mm -hmm. So there are some things where you look at that and say, "Leslie, why are you calling that there? I would have done this differently. And I think that's what we're going to see where maybe Frazier was a bit too conservative last year and McDermott's going to say, you know what, I'm going to be more aggressive. I'm going to mix things up a little bit and we're going to see how this defense will react.
3: Definitely, I think that uh, I do think that Frazier was the even-handed voice on defense, though, and I think that McDermott trusted Frazier to the point of he may that that he expect, he, he appreciated his experience, especially you know, because Frazier, of course, a former head coach as well, and as well as being an extremely long-time defensive coach. Um, I think McDermott trusted his experience sometimes more than he trusted his own ambition, uh, because every coach who's ever worked with McDermott prior to his time in Buffalo has said, Oh, he's extremely aggressive. You know, he's creative. You know, look at the all the different looks and plays he'll throw at you. You know, he's willing, he's, he's risky. He's, he's, he's an aggressive defensive coach and that's been his, both his praise and his detriment since day one. And the fact that the bills play such a, such generally a soft and consistent defense over the past number of years is because they haven't even handed, Coach in Frazier, who's able to say, maybe we turn it down a little. Maybe we lay off a little. Maybe we let the quarterback make the mistake instead of us, you know, opening up the middle of the field by blitzing. Maybe, you know, I think that that Veteran experience was helpful. And I think it was good to have in Sean McDermott's ear as a young rookie head coach. I don't think it's as valuable now. It's sort of like when we realized that Josh Allen didn't need a veteran in the quarterback room within him anymore. You know, like, what good was a guy like davis webb as a backup to josh allen you know what what, what, what good was um you know matt barkley for example like i had been around at the league a lot longer you know uh it didn't really need him you didn't need his expertise you didn't need his tempering voice in your ear anymore because you know that josh allen is a you know he's aggressive and he's reckless and he's gonna do what he can do to win and Sure, he's calmed down a little bit, he doesn't make as many erratic errors as, as as 2018 Josh Allen did, where he was trying to do it all and couldn't rely on anyone. Josh Allen has learned a bit, and I expect to see a similar reflection in the coaching style of Sean McDermott, a slightly tempered version of what he was trying to do when he was defensive coordinator of the Panthers.
0: Well, one last thing that I'll say before I get Bryce and Zach back on to round out the show tonight is that Sean McDermott was a defensive coordinator in Carolina for six years from 2011 to 2016 before becoming the Bills head coach. And in four out of those six years, he coached a top 10 defense. The only years that they didn't have a top 10 defense were his first year and his last year. And Mm -hmm. sandwiched in between was their Super Bowl run where they really built up that. What's the word? They're not a. Dynasty. They didn't win anything, but they they were a powerhouse for a couple of years there with yeah. Cam Newton in his prime,
3: yeah. generating consistent success. I mean, that's all you can do. the 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 NFL show the Rams got to buy a Super Bowl. As buy a Super Bowl, you know, obviously they worked hard for it and they went out and got the guys. But it's not a sustainable way a method of success. And McDermott's proven that he can give you consistent success on defense over time. And he was able to do that when he wasn't in charge of personnel as a defensive coordinator. He wasn't... Obviously, he'd give his two cents, but he wasn't drafting guys. He wasn't signing free agents. He was saying, hey, these are the kind of guys I want to work with. And then he made a great defense with what he was given. I think that... uh, I I think that we could see a little little bit more of a change now on defense because with Frazier gone, there's no one to pat McDermott on the back and say, hey, buddy, come down a little.
0: Well, don't forget, they also brought in Al Holcomb.
3: Yeah, and I think that's it's helpful, but he also won't have the same level of trust and depreciation for the, you know, the the gentle whisper in his ear of Al Holcomb as he had for Or after, after all these years. I think it matters. I think it's helpful, but I don't think it's that significant.
0: All right, well, I'm going to bring back Zach and Bryce to round out the show here. I'm going to get their thoughts to see what they think about this new look for the defense, maybe playing some more 4-3, maybe playing some more of that thick dime that we talked about, and then we'll sign off for the night. So now that you guys are are back here, what, what do you think about this potential new look for the Bills defense? Zach, you want to go first? Yeah, Zach, you first if you want to go.
1: Okay. Um, I mean, I think that it's probably gonna remain mostly the same. I mean, just the general, you know, the general base formation will probably still be a nickel. They'll just have to figure out who's gonna be playing, filling the mic role, you know, vacated by Tremaine not advanced. They'll have to figure that out. You may see, now that they have Taylor Rapp, you might see a bit more big nickel, which would be awesome to see. You see, mix it up a little also, but also you want to keep Teron Johnson in the game because he's one of your best defensive players as well. So you could very well see more thick time and maybe it's just Milano at linebacker and then like Taylor Rapp or Poyer down closer to the line of scrimmage. There could potentially be a bit more positional versatility on defense.
3: Yep. I Not think it's something draft. that, uh, Something that McDermott and and you know, Brandon Bean have said in the past is that they try and give this give themselves options, right? That's why they go out and get a lot of different... They, they try and bring in a new skill set to each position room. They try and find um, you know, someone who does things a little differently here and there. It's to generate variance and give them the ability to do things that they may not have been able to do before.
0: Bryce, what are your thoughts about this?
2: Yeah, just piggybacking off of Zach, I don't think, as long as McDermott is here, that the defensive scheme is going to change a whole lot. We're probably still going to run a zone package because, you know, that's been McDermott's thing since he's got here. It's worked for the bad teams, and it's got us to the playoffs. It's not going to change just, you know, like that, now that he's taken over play calling. Um also, I think Rab would probably be more towards the line of scrimmage, considering his, you know, his recent time at linebacker and defensive line with the Rams, instead of you know Poyer, where he's been flourishing at safety and in zone coverage. Mm. Say that last part again. You cut out. Yeah, I was just saying instead of Poyer, you know, being that linebacker where, you know, keep him at safety where he's been flourishing in zone coverage and, you know, being that ball hawk that we've seen since 2017. Put Rep down by Milano. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, well, tying all of this in together from what we talked about tonight, I think this is a very intriguing situation because what they do in the draft could say what they want to do on defense this year, where maybe they have enough pieces with a guy like Taylor Rapp and Terrell Bernard who's been in the pipeline. But if they draft a position, like just say they draft like a Trenton Simpson, where we're thinking they want that stereotypical middle linebacker, that'd be pretty interesting because that would show that they have different thoughts and ideas about how they want to run their defense this year. Ultimately, I think they go get that Jack Campbell, the prototypical middle linebacker, to clog up the middle there. And like we were talking about earlier, maybe they get a run-stuffing defensive tackle. But it's very interesting to see how they're going to attack the draft between McDermott taking over the defense and the fact that they still have positions to address on offense.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's nice that they haven't forecasted the pick like they did last year. I mean, it's what allowed the Chiefs to jump us for their cornerback. I mean, our guy may well have been their pick, um, but we'll never know and we never need to know. Uh, but it, the fact that everyone knew we were drafting cornerback last year made the bills awfully predictable. It took value away from the unknown commodity of the draft pick, and um, it made it less tradable and you know more predictable. And I think that the variance in needs this year, and the fact that we don't need anything as need, need any position as badly as we needed a cornerback last year makes it that much harder to, to predict. And the fact that there are so many options that we could improve upon with that early pick.
0: All right, gentlemen, any final thoughts before we wrap this up?
3: I mean, I haven't thought in years, so... <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, people still have thoughts in 2023? Yeah, somebody keeps <laughs> that? <laughs> in this yeah, we have better stuff to do here. I I guess one one final thing that
0: I'll throw in here is technically we are still in the free agency period. So while it's not likely, since they always seem to sign someone the day after we have our show, do you guys think that there could be a signing tomorrow? Does Shaq Lawson get re-signed? Do they get a veteran linebacker? Do they get a veteran offensive lineman again or just somewhere else? But I, I really think they're pretty much done. But could we see one more
2: move coming up this week? Is tomorrow the day that we see Zach uh, get his boy, Melvin Ingram? Yeah, Melvin Ingram is still out there, right? Yeah, he's still out there. We could use him at pass rush now with Vano. Put him opposite side of uh, Gregor's toe.
0: Speaking it into existence right now, Melvin Ingram, your newest Buffalo Bill as of tomorrow after we <laughs> log off.
1: Now watch him resign Tyler Jones. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh yeah, we could get the uh, infamous Taiwan Jones resigning.
3: <laughs> yeah, death taxes and Taiwan Jones on special teams is the saying, right?
2: Yep.
0: Yes, sir. You know You already know. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, um, one final thought here are you guys Sabres fans Zach or Bryce are you guys going to be paying attention to the game of the year the game of the decade for that matter on Tuesday night in Florida
2: yeah I'm a big Sabres fan I'll definitely be uh, checking in on the on that game
0: Mm -hmm. yes and do you think that the Sabres could win a playoff series before the Leafs
3: I mean, yeah, the Sabres could win one as soon as next season, and the Leafs are still going to be losing in the first round for the next 10-plus years, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I know that the the Leafs and Sabres have a lot of bad blood, which I never quite understood as a Bills slash Leafs fan. You know, I just thought, yeah, why well, do we get along? You know, we're all, we're all right there across the border. Let's be buddies. But um I one 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 bit of sort of sympathy I'd have always had for the Sabres is that the skate was in the crease. It was in yes. the crease. It was in there. I just I, I don't know. I'm I'm shocked that they called it that way.
0: Well that hey, bro, just lines dude. up right with our luck in <laughs> Buffalo. <laughs> oh, but yeah. hey, maybe Devin Levi can be the Andy Dalton for the Sabres where he can just somehow (laughs) propel the Sabres into the playoffs here to end the drought. Cause like something magical has to happen, right? Like Andy Dalton to Tyler Boyd is like Devin Levi saving the season here.
3: Yes. That's fourth and 12. That's, that's it's time man. dial it up.
0: All right. Well with that, we went a little over two hours, but you know, not too bad. Had some great conversations tonight. Appreciate you guys for, Coming on, Zach and Bryce, as usual. And Justin, glad to have you on for the first time this year, at least. Hope to have you back soon again. Oh,
3: definitely. See if we can
0: get any more of our other writers to come on in the future. Mm -hmm. And I keep saying last thing, but this is the last thing. Zach, (laughs) what do we have coming up this week in terms of our articles?
1: So I think we might have mentioned earlier, but we got our round three of our BF writers mock draft coming out tomorrow. Bryce will have an article coming up on Tuesday. We're gonna have, and Yeston will be on Wednesday. So check out his next piece. I believe it has something to do with Josh Allen. Um, Yeah, we're gonna be
3: discussing the uh, the old Josh Allen. Should he be sliding more? Should he, you know, do you want him to pull up? Do you want him to run less? Let's let's get into it.
2: Twenty thousand words about Josh Allen sliding. I'm here for it. Oh,
3: dude, that's (laughs) just. I'm I'm giving you twenty thousand words just from the waist up. Let's not even get into the running yet.
0: (laughs) Well, and then I am going to write an article either this week or next, but I'm leaning towards this week about how the bills could potentially trade back and get some assets back and finagle that in their draft. Because I think that'd definitely be an interesting topic to have. Now, I will say next Sunday is Easter. As of now, we will be having our show. I plan on airing it here. And then the following week, Zach will be on vacation. So we're still working that out. But because Zach's going on vacation, I definitely want to get a show in next week. Because then right after that, there's only one more show until the draft. And that's going to be like our final mock draft, seven-round mock draft. Here we go as the draft is three and a half weeks away. So I'm thinking we're going to go all out here three weeks in a row of shows, uh, Easter or not, you know.
3: Right, so, um, Looking forward to it, guys.
0: Yeah, with that, thank you guys again for joining me. Thank you for everyone who watched tonight and commented along the way. Maybe you're watching on here, Facebook or Twitter. But, again, this is recording so you can go back and watch and appreciate everyone who commented and gave us a super chat tonight. So, with that, this is Kevin Syracuse with the BF Writers Club alongside Justin Harris, Bryce Martino, and Zach Vaughn. We will be back next week, same time, same place. Go Bills and go Sabres. Go Bills.
3: Go Bills. Go Bills.